We'll take a moment as you're coming in and finding your place and uh, enjoy seeing you and watching you talk to one another. Now, as we're coming in and getting ready for Bible class, I want you to do one thing. I want you to turn. It cannot be someone who is on the same pew as you. You turn to somebody in front of you, across from you, behind you, and just wave at them and say, I'm glad to see you. Smile. It's very good. It's good to see you, Luther. It is very good uh, to see you do that, and we were very blessed. The great opportunity on Sunday and blessed are on Saturday and as well as Sunday to be together in worship. And now as we are here on Wednesday evening to continue our study of personal evangelism. As we begin that, I want to make one announcement. The Freed Hardeman Associates will meet tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in the Annex. Last minute preparations for the June 25th uh, salad luncheon will be discussed. So keep that in mind. There are many who are on our sick list and who have especially asked for our prayers, those who are facing surgeries, those who are recovering from surgeries, those who are continuing to recover from long-term illnesses, those who are just struggling with the various things. And sometimes we know those things, sometimes we don't. But God knows all of them. So tonight, uh, as we pray, if you have someone in your heart especially, and I'm, I'm not praying for you, we're praying together. But as we begin our prayer tonight, uh, as we begin our class tonight, let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Pray with me. Our most gracious and holy Father, giver of all things, Father, we are thankful for your mercy and your goodness and your grace and for being so very good to us. We are thankful that you are our creator. We are thankful that you allow us to be alive. Thank you for this congregation, for your people who meet here, and for your people who meet everywhere. Father, we know that there are those of this particular family who have needs at this time that you know better than we know, and we pray that you would bless those people their families, those caring for them in accordance to your will in ways far beyond our comprehension. Father, we know that you have a plan and that you are in control, and we are thankful for that. Tonight, as we study the very important subject of sharing your salvation that's found in your Son through your Word, as we prepare ourselves and better ourselves to be showers of that truth, Help us to look into your word, study it, consider it, and live it. In your son's name, we do humbly pray. Amen. So we are, in the course of our conversation, we are talking about personal evangelism. And it's hard sometimes not to, to go all the way back and try to review from the beginning. And I won't do that. I try very hard not to do that. But when we talk about personal evangelism, we're simply talking about me as a child of God who has been the benefit, uh, who has benefited from his grace and his mercy. 
and have been saved from my sins because his son's blood has washed me in my obedience to the truth. And I'm trying to live that truth. And a part of living that truth, a part of walking in the light as he is in the light in um, 1 John 1, 7, so that we continue to be what he wants us to be, a part of that is learning to apply personal evangelism. And I want you, as I said already from the get-go, don't make that term something that is intimidating, that is scary to you. Now, there's elements about it that can be intimidating, I suppose, but we're just simply talking about sharing the truth of the gospel with someone else. However we can, whenever we can, as much as we can, for as long as we can. That's what we're talking about. And so with that in mind, we've been looking at a variety of lessons, and we're actually through Lesson 7 and thinking about some different things. We've gotten to three essentials for us to be effective, for us to truly uh, become effective as children of God. Oop, wrong side. I'm one of those people that both, if not, both are not on, I won't feel balanced. Okay. So we got now to There we go. Okay. We have come now to the third part of the lesson. First of all, what did we say that Well, I guess I didn't put that in there. Okay, I'm going to have to Okay. Now, let's start over. Ha. Huh. We're now to part three. I said there are three components, or three parts, three essential things, if you and I, to be effective. Effective means that, that I am comfortable enough, I am uh, uh, confident enough, courageous enough, that I have a part of me that I'm willing to do something, okay? And we're coming to that. The culminating part of this is when we talk about what can I do. And we're getting there. We're not going to worry about what I can't do, but what can I do? And that's where we're going to end if the Lord lets us go through all this whole series. But to be effective, number one, I said that it involves, what was that first one? Anybody remember? Understanding, right? Well, first of all, it involves understanding. Now, it involves knowledge. What do we got to know? Number one, we must know the truth. That was component number one. We've got to know the truth. Then we have to know what? Let's talk about it. I said last week we would get to this point. We must know the truth. That's what we started with. We went through all of those verses. The truth has to be a part of us. It has to be instilled with us. It has to be a part of who we are. I can't talk to somebody else about the truth of God's word if I am not naturally uh, living it every day. I'm not making the, if I am not making the effort to live it every day, how in the world can I tell somebody else? Well, I can't. Okay. So now I said we would go to number two. Boys, I don't know what's wrong with this thing. Okay. Uh, that I must know the world. I must know the truth, yes. And I said last week, we'll come down to, I must know the world. Now, I want to illustrate that just a little bit. If God wills for me to um, see August, then that, I will begin my 28th year as a public school teacher. 
okay? And what's 28 times 2, somebody, real quick, that's good at math? I'm not going to try. How much? 56. So you think about that. That's the 56th semester of teaching in a classroom. Now, when you say it that way, that sounds like a long time. Uh, it makes me sound old, but it has been a while. Okay, I didn't say that for, to make you laugh or anything like that, but 28 years. Okay, here's what I want you to get. I want to uh, illustrate something. I can remember very well my first 10 years of teaching. Luther, I remember it well. because I remember that it was very easy to use my grandfather's voice because I grew up in a time when my grandfather said, stop horsing around. You're rocking a boat. Guess what I did? I sat down. When uh, I heard my mother say my whole name, the middle one included, in that reserved tone of voice, and she said, come here with that same tone in my three, my whole name, then I didn't want to go, but I guarantee you that's exactly what it did as quickly as I could get there. That's how I grew up. So it was easy in my first 10 years of teaching, and yes, I'm going somewhere with this, for me to say, stop, enough. But I want to tell you what happened to me uh, about 12 years ago. I was in a classroom, and I had a young man who transferred in. Transferred in, he was sitting there, and we were going through a thing, uh, working through a lesson one day, and it was obvious he wasn't doing what I asked him to do, and he was not paying attention. And I used my voice. Okay, and he bristled. And, and you know, so I, I did what I always do, and I called him out into the hall. And what was interesting, what I expected was, oh, here comes another confrontation, here comes another office visit, here comes... But the first words out of his mouth were, I'm sorry, sir, I apologize. Let me, I'd only had him about three weeks. He said, I apologize. He said, I got mad because the reason why I'm here is because I'm going. I had to get away from a home situation. And the truth is, I have been screamed at my whole life. I've had people yell at me and tell me I'm nothing. And so when you raised your voice, that was my first response. For the first time in my life, I realized this is not the classroom I started in. These are not the same kids. And so those of you who've been teaching as long as I have know it's not the same world. Like it or not. And some of you who do other things know it's not the same world. Okay, with that said, why in the world did I waste your time, spend your time, I hope I didn't waste it, did I spend time in here to tell you that? Because we, if we are preparing ourselves and thinking about how we can be sharers of the gospel, teachers of the truth, reaching those who need it, we have to understand it is a different world than it was 50 years ago. The gospel hasn't changed, not one iota. So that's not what I'm talking about at all. But from the token, uh, from the perspective of you and me, of you and I, as we try to do that, okay, this is what I want you to think about. We have to know the world in which we are, Mark, that's right, living. Mark 16, 16, going to all the world. Okay, you're going to hear me say this again later in another point, but go into all the world and share the gospel, teach the gospel, preach the gospel to every creature. Hmm, well, you know where the world is? This is you, Luther, right here. The world is when you take one step out of your circle, that's the world. You can go one step, one feet, one, one mile, a thousand miles, or around the world, and you're in the world. So if I'm going to do that, I have to realize 
What kind of people am I going to be trying to reach? Because it makes a difference. Now, here's a disclaimer. As we look through this tonight, you and I, we will... I want us to look at this from the perspective, this is where I have to be careful, from the perspective primarily of us teaching other people, of us uh, preparing ourselves to be better uh, gospel sharers, truth sharers, personal evangelists, whatever you want to call yourself. At the same time, we'll also learn something about the world that will help us as individual Christians. I want to try to stay on point here as best I can. But number one, we have to know the truth. Absolutely. It has to be a part of us, right? We know that. Number two, we have to know the world. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4. I don't know if we'll get through all of these verses tonight. It doesn't matter. But I will give you a little preview of what I want us to do. Five components of things we must know. First one was, we must know the truth. Second one, we must know the world. The third one's going to be, we must know Satan. And the fourth one will be, we must know ourselves. And we'll probably spend some time on that one for sure. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4. Okay, somebody read that. Nice and loudly. I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the times are coming when people will under more sound but sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. Okay. Understand all of these verses. Well, go ahead and be turning to Second Timothy chapter three. Back up one chapter. Listen to what Jeremy just read. We live in a world. Therefore, that means that you, a Christian living in this world, you have to understand that the world. I probably should have started with that last verse. We've read it already. We'll read it again. Probably should have started with it. Let's put it out there before we dig into this one. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. One uh, translation says under the sway of the wicked one. Same thing. Under the control says another one. Okay. Everything outside of the light in which we walk, everything outside of the church, that Jesus said, I will build, he established. Everything on the outside of that is the world. And Satan controls the world. Now we definitely will dig into that some more. But as we do that though, what Jeremy just read to us. The time will come, it says, that they will what? They will not endure sound doctrine. They just, this, the truth will not impact them the way it used to. The way, have you ever known, how many of you are old enough, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I promise. How many of you remember a time when there were gospel meetings held in the summer and there would be literally, you would be an hour or two hours late getting home because there were so many people who were baptized that night. Anybody remember going to things like that? I can remember it a long time ago. Now, like it or not, you can have gospel meetings and we'll be lucky to get our own folks here. We live in a different world. 
It's a world that he said there would be a time, it's coming, when they will not endure sound doctrine. They're going to want to hear something that makes them happy. They're going to follow fables. They're going to, and the people that you're going to be trying to reach with the gospel, that's the people that Paul was talking about. The ancestors of those people. Okay, now, let's go to first, uh, chapter 3. Now, when you see that, you say, well, now, wait a minute, isn't that the whole chapter? It is. Watch this with me. Let's read it together. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous means what? Difficult, troublesome, dangerous, hard, all of those will come in the last days. The last days began at the cross of Christ and will go until we see him again. So, and that's right now. We're in the last days. Perilous times will come. Here's why. For men will be lovers of themselves. Know any selfish people? Lovers of money. Know any greedy people? Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unholy, un, uh, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. You know what that word unlive, unloving means? In its original, it means without natural affection. How in the world could one human being have, a no absolute, have absolute no regard for another one? Paul said it would happen. How in the world could a mother end the life of her own child? Paul said it would happen. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Headstrong, what's that mean? Stubborn, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, from such people turn away. Paul knew there would be a time when they would recognize, well, God exists, but... You ever heard someone use the phrase, I know the Bible says it's wrong, but I just can't believe God would want me to be unhappy. You ever heard that? Paul said they would come. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away of various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as James and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have followed my doctrine. See, I wanted you to read the whole thing. I want you to see verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine. See a contrast there. My manner of life. Look at the contrast. My purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Lystra. Now, go to verse 13. Just for time's sake, we'll jump a little. Verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Who are these evil men and these imposters? All those folks he started talking about in verse 2. All the way down to... Hmm. But you must continue in the things you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Okay, let's stop there in that passage. In the world... There are individuals who have grown up, have grown up, 
had children, those children have grown up, they've had children, and those children have grown up, having never been exposed to the truth you and I grew up with. So their mindset, their thought process, their ideology of what's right and wrong is completely different. You see, here's what I mean by that. If I suddenly went off the rails, and I am just as susceptible to Satan as anybody else in this room, but I went off the rails, and I said, that's, you know, and you didn't see me for months and months and months, and Marilyn came to talk to me, or Luther came and talked to me, they know where I grew up, don't you? You know where I was. You know what I know, what I used to know, so you know where to start. And sometimes when we go out and we try to bring people in, we want to invite them, we say, won't you come to, to worship with us? We say, come to church with me. And they're just, it's, that's a foreign concept. And we say, why would, it, why would anybody not want to go to church? Because it is a completely foreign concept to them. We're going to have to connect somehow so that the truth can get in the truth will find a place to their heart. So we have to know that world. We have to know we live in a world that thinks nothing of these sideways sexual thing, the sexuality concepts that are just getting worse and worse and worse. Yes, ma'am. Yes, Marilyn made the comment that, you know, you, you approach people and they see the Bible as something that's, quote, out of style. Because, you know, it, and you know why? Their grandmothers didn't do that. Their mothers didn't do that. Okay, that's part of the point that I wanted to make here. And by the way, if you want to say something, raise your hand. I know. I'm just telling the rest of them. Okay. Uh, so, no, 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 I wasn't fussing at you, Marilyn. I'm saying, I'm telling the rest of them, you, you knew what you had to do. Okay, <laughs> no, I didn't, I wasn't fussing at you, I'm not that silly, okay, uh, um, do that because otherwise I'll just keep talking, thank you, Marilyn, but she's right, okay, now, think about that, think about this, Marilyn's point in, in this regard, we uh, have generations after generations that have grown up. And, and I want to be careful what I, what I say here because uh, legally I'm bound by uh, the FERPA law that I can't just, I have to be careful what I say. Uh, but the truth is uh, there are generations of teenagers now that will do things that would floor some of you. Okay? I'm going to be quite honest. When I lived in Tennessee, and I have to be real careful how, to, how I say this, uh, our school was huge. There were 2,500 students in that school. It was a monster, okay? And it had two stories, five wings of two stories. After hours, it was completely locked up except for whomever was there working. We had groups meeting here and there, you know. Well, you know how teenagers are, yes? 
Well, one night I was on the second floor one evening and it was already dark, wintertime. I went out. I'm leaving. Bag over my shoulder, out the door, go through the end of the stairwell on the second floor and fall over a couple. And that's all I'm going to say. Those kinds of casual encounters, we call it immorality. We grew up the idea, what? You don't even talk about that. The idea of that today, come on, we, we have, there are singers who sing songs. A girl singing about, I kissed a girl last night. And it's not, here's what I want you to understand, those things, they don't consider that uh, doing something immoral. They don't even consider that, yes, I know that's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. And it's not even, I'm going to do this because I'm going to be that way, or I want to do this because I'm going to be this way. Now those things are just simply part of the things you do, the things you try, the things that are part. Y'all understand where I'm coming from? See, that's when you talk to that person about the gospel, you're going to be dealing with a lot of things that you wouldn't going to have to deal with when you talk to me, when you talk to Marilyn. When you, talk, you understand what I'm saying? That's the world they live in. Now, I'm not saying that for you to say, well, see, I told you I was right. This is a wasted class because it's a lost cause. No, it's not. Oh, it most certainly is not a lost cause. Uh, the gospel proves that over and over and over, but I think it's important for us to, to learn that. See, these individuals with whom you will come into contact, and some of you right now, in fact, don't raise your hand, but nod your head if some of you already had names of people you care about already go through your consciousness. Yeah, me too. Me too. Okay, let's look at the third verse. Romans chapter... No. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In this plays into what Sister Marilyn said as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 20 through 25. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture because it reminds us of the simplicity of the truth and the power of, of God's plan, but we often, that's how we look at that passage. We look at that passage thinking about the simplicity of the truth and the power of God's plan, and we don't think about the other side of the equation talk that's in this verse. Somebody read that for me, please. 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 25. foolishness of preaching. Now, not foolishness as in it is foolish, but it's foolish when you compare it to the world's mentality, to the world's thought press. The world thinks it's foolish. Why? Because it doesn't meet their grand standards. The Greeks want a sign, or the, the Greeks 
seek after wisdom. They want something that you have to scratch your head about. They want something that is grandiose and deep and mystical and, and charming. Huh. And the Jews seek a sign. You ever heard someone say, you know, if God would tell me directly, I'd believe it. Or if God would show me a sign, I'd believe it. Or if I could see a miracle myself, then I would believe it. No, you wouldn't. That's what he's saying. You, here's another class of people you will encounter. Those who are trying to think it out themselves. Those who are trying to make it fit their own rationality, their own thought process. It has to fit my reasonable, my standards of reason. Or it has to uh, in somehow connect to what I want it to do. But you've got that backwards. So, do you know people like that? Sure you do. Okay, let's look at sec, um, 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. 2 Peter 2, 4 through 9. All right, somebody read it. For if God spared not the angels of sin, cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved in discussion. Spare not the whole world to save Noah the eighth person. sentence to read because all of that in the middle is a side message because he's well it's all part of one clause he said if God did all these things bunch of them then and God is able to deliver the righteous from temptation now all those things were Noah and Lot and the angels okay going back to what Marilyn said a moment ago not trying to confuse you or be confusing confuse myself but i mentioned this one time before that i i, I listened to um one particular christian a christian scientist uh and i don't mean the the religious group i mean literally a scientist who is a christian uh who wrote about the flood and how that evidence points to that once the flood was over and that canopy was no longer there uh, humanity and its subsequent generations when someone was asking why are there genetic defects why are there cancer you know why are there there problems why am I predisposed to this and that generation after generation shows a, a genetic uh, a breakdown a degradation after the exposure because we weren't meant to live here forever anyway um, but that said you said what's that got to do with any of this same concept. 
you meet someone today who has gone from generation after generation after generation. We have people now, I see kids in the classroom, you will see people that you know are younger people, especially those of you who are younger, who did not just ignore grandma and not go to church with her. She didn't go. And they were exposed to things, and now it doesn't bother them. Now, I'm telling you that because of verse 8. Delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul. Okay, now, did Lot get out of Sodom and Gomorrah scot-free? Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase bad wording. Did he get out of that without any consequences or scars? No. You read the next few chapters, you realize his daughters committed sin with him uh, after got, getting him drunk. Wait a minute, I thought he was righteous lot. He was. His wife didn't even make it to the mountaintop. Now, it's that passage. It vexed his soul. The King James says, oppressed his soul. What does that mean to you? He delivered Lot. But Lot was already suffering the effects of exposure. You get me? He was already suffering the effects of exposure. His family were suffering the effects of... Sorry. The effects of exposure. And some of them didn't even go. Read that text. Some of them wouldn't even go with him. His two younger daughters did. They didn't have a choice. They were still under his household. But they carried some sin with them. Where? Up here. So the more we're exposed to it, that exposure begins to wear on our souls, wears on our hearts, wears on the way we think. Doesn't it? So that's something for a Christian to consider. But now consider someone who has... Every day exposed to it. So that's the world that we are striving to teach. Okay, one more. And then hopefully some of you will want to talk if I'll be quite long enough. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want us to read not just verse 4. We are familiar with verse 3 and 4, but let's read the whole chunk there. Starting in number 1 and reading through verse 6. Okay. Thank you. Okay, now, 
take a look at that passage again. Just, just let it sink in. Uh, and as you're doing that, before we comment on it, I challenge you to go back and read every one of these scriptures that we've put up here and that we've read and talked about tonight. And I want you to notice in every single one of them, when the degradation of the world, the sinful condition of the world, the world that we're in, that we want to teach, and every time in those passages that those, that condition is mentioned, in that same context are those who are gotten out of that. In every one of those, the truth of the gospel is there as the contrast to that or as the remedy for that, the salvation from that. And that's what he's talking about. I want you to think about that, or, or that's what I believe God wants us to see here. But as we are then the sharers of that truth, we have to appreciate this world that in which we're doing that. Well, let's see, what did he say? Uh, if the gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost. If you just read that in the old King James, that sounds, the first time I read that, wait a minute. So God's letting some people be lost because he hid it from them? Uh, no. It's hidden from them because their eyes are blind. But who blinded their eyes? Who blinded their minds, according to the text? Okay, that wasn't a trick question. According to the text, verse 4, the God of this world... Now, why in the world would Paul uh, give Satan um, that kind of... I'm not sure, I, I'm not, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Why would he give him that almost... The respect is not the word. Why in the world would he give him, uh, lift him up to the uh, step of calling him the God of this world? You mean he has a kingdom? He does, he, he does. He's a king. He was called the prince of the power of the air, I believe. That suggests power, doesn't it? And that's the very first verse we'll look at when we look at the third thing, is that yes, Satan has power. So we have to understand Satan has power. What kind of power does he have? Well, I need to know that, I think. If I'm, because if I'm going up against him, I kind of need to know what kind of power he's got. Okay. Questions or comments? Yes. Okay, did, I'm always afraid I'm going to interrupt. Uh, okay, Anita was talking about uh, um, uh, 
reading about a young lady who was involved in a homosexual relationship, a lesbian relationship, and and I know just as surely my wife is uh, going to wince when she hears me say this because she says I say it too much. As surely as God made little green apples, there's somebody in this room for a fleeting second the thought passed to your mind. Oh, come on, they knew better. Everybody knows. Okay, I understand that point of view, but I also, you also have to understand what it means to be numbed. Having a conscience seared with a hot iron, the scripture says, being blinded by the God of this world. What if you were born blind? Born into. Yep. Now, okay, the point with that, you're very right. And here's the point that I want to make with this before my buzzer goes off is that, uh, and I want to be careful, I started to lean back on this and I won't sit on the Lord's Supper table because truthfully, I won't tell y'all where because some of you will know where, uh, that uh, I was in a class and I just hopped up on the Lord's Supper table. I thought one little sweet little old lady was going to, she said, what are you doing? Never mind. Uh, So I won't do that, I promise. But, okay, listen, think about this for a second. It's easy for us to say they ought to know better, perhaps. But the truth is, there are many people that we see, we see those. And by the way, I mentioned being in Tennessee. I thought I wouldn't teach or be old enough or teach long enough to see two guys uh, kiss each other before they got on the bus. Have and did. So, you know what, maybe it's time to retire. But, no, not yet. The thing is, we look at those folks and we say, they don't know better, they're sinners. But the truth is, they don't know better. Okay, time out. Saying they don't know better is not an excuse for the behavior. So don't misread that. Because read, read Romans 1, starting in verse 18. Now, we're talking about a group of people who've grown up. Sure, they, uh, the truth is out there, but just those, there are individuals in society now walking around in some serious life choice situations, not just the ones we talked about, not just, uh, lots of them, lots of them. Some we've let slide under the rug longer than, lots of them. And we say, if they're doing that, if he's living that way, if he's already done that, he's too far gone. You know, first of all, who am I to make that decision? Second of all, there comes a, a point that individuals do get numb to the truth. And some who grow up not having known the truth, there are some teenagers living today and some 20 year olds and some 30 year olds who have grown up and have not been exposed to the truth about how God says you should live, haven't been exposed to the truth of the gospel, and they are just as in the dark as the folks in the, uh, a remote continent somewhere who's never even seen a Bible. And that's what Satan is doing. And so that, Lord willing, is a uh, lesson next week, how Satan exactly works, what kind of power he's got. Now, don't, if you misunderstand in any shape, form, or fashion that I in any way uh, 
said that there was an excuse or an endorsement or it's okay that people live in sin. I never said so because the Bible doesn't. But we're, there are people walking around out there that have grown up in a world that has, what? that has painted them with sin from the moment they took breath, exposed them to it. And so the only truth they're ever going to see is going to come from whom? From whom? From us. From us. So that's something to think about. And yes, please. Absolutely. And you know, w w that particular, Kerry's right. Um, at, but at the same, all, in addition to that particular sin is what's at the forefront of Satan's billboard right now. And he's not, uh, he didn't say a whole lot about abortion anymore. You know why? Because he's numbed us to that. He didn't say much anymore about the uh, marriage, divorce, remarriage, living together, uh, 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 What's that kind of door, revolving door situation that people are living in today? Why? Because he's, he's numbed us to that. So, yes, you have to. And so when we talk about that, we'll talk about a verse in the book of Jude that talks about... Pulling them out of the fire, fire, hating even the garment spotted with the flesh. You know, you hate the life they're wearing but you're reaching in to get them. That's a very specific verse. Let's have a prayer and then parents will go get your children and we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to study your truth. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to let it sink in and help us understand the world in which we live and the world in which those who need the truth live so that we can prepare ourselves to be that light and to be that message, messenger. In all, all these things we pray in the name of your Son. Amen.